0: Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You got it, International Teaching. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome to the International Teacher Podcast episode and you know what? I have Jacqueline here with me, but I don't have Kent. He's off with his cat, I don't know, doing something. And Jacqueline, welcome to the show this afternoon for me.
1: Thank you so much, Greg. I I know I say this every time, but I'm really super duper cav cav fragilistic, expialidocious, excited
0: about our guest. Is this one of your best friends again, Jacqueline? This is one of my best friends in the world. I love your friends. Who is on our show today, Jacqueline? Today,
1: we are very honored to have my friend Sharon in Thailand, but we're not going to say she's from anywhere in the U.S. because
0: like you, Greg, she's an army brat. Oh, yeah. Hey, what? What? Uh, welcome, Sharon. How are you?
2: Thank you. I'm so great. Really happy to be here.
0: What branch were you for as an Army Brad?
2: I was in my dad was infantry. Yeah. Okay. Army Brad.
0: Army. Me too. Yeah. Army Brad. Did you did you grow up on different bases around uh, the world or the states or the you know places like that?
2: Yeah, we moved 25 times before I graduated from high school. So yeah, we were I feel over like in I Georgia. know
0: you're already. I know you. I already know you. Maybe you we were have, in the same school.
2: Have,
0: I know we've gone to the same
2: school the same schools. Where did you graduate high school?
0: Well, my dad left the army, well, retired from the army and went into the reservists in Kansas. So we moved up to Wisconsin where family was from. And then the war hits and my dad gets called up for Saudi and he ends up going overseas to Saudi. And my mom's up there and then he got called again and sent to Germany. And I was like, well, reservist, but he was trying to be like a I think he was moving up in rank and that retirement package and all that stuff. The pension was just too good to give up. So he had stayed in it and goes, you know, goes off once a month to go, you know, train with the soldiers. And that was what we thought was going to happen. But then the war hit. I mean, we are Germany was the only time that we were overseas with the army. Other than that, it was around the States.
2: Where were you in Germany?
0: We were in Heidelberg and we (gasps) uh,
2: We were neighbors.
0: It's awesome. Yeah.
2: So So I
0: I really feel attached to you already. And I think it's going to be great to have you on the show to talk about all the different places you've been, because I bet like Jacqueline and I have been all over the world and you have too, I bet, not just with the army. And that's what I want to talk. Can you do me a favor? Can you tell our listeners the elevator version of how you got into international and where you're at now?
2: As you know, as a military kid, it gets in your blood. It's really, really hard to settle down anywhere. So, coincidentally, I ended up in Kansas because my dad was stationed there. And I went to college there, met my husband. And in our wedding vows, I made him promise to follow me wherever I went because I knew I couldn't stay in one place forever.
0: Did he agree or was it somebody else that agreed?
2: (laughs) He was like, sure, whatever. But he didn't believe anything would ever really come of it. So, I became a journalist and I worked as a journalist for 12 years in Kansas. And then my parents were actually in Saudi Arabia. And my two little sisters, who are much younger than me, went to boarding school in Switzerland at – are we allowed to say school names? Not sure. Sure,
0: if you want to. Yeah, I do it all the time.
2: Okay, so my little sisters were at Lausanne American School. And I didn't really know anything about international schools because I grew up as a military kid in the Dodd system, so I went to DOD schools.
0: Which is the Department of Defense schools, right? And you're on American bases around the world. They have our own schools, just taught like with regular teachers that get a salary like taxed and everything within Dodds, Right.
2: Right. And all the kids, pretty much all the kids are children of American servicemen
0: that don't want to so, be there. Usually you're just like, you're there and you don't want to be. So you right. make a little like America school. around you. Right. Okay. Go ahead. Exactly. Sorry.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so I was working as a journalist and my sisters were going to school in Switzerland. And when it came time for their graduation, we went over there And I met all these international teachers at their school, and I was like, hello, how do I not know about this? And I said, as soon as I got home, I said to my husband, I'm going back to school, I'm becoming a teacher, and we're going overseas. And he was like, oh, man. So, and he was already (laughs) a teacher. So I did, went back to school, became a teacher, and the rest is history. So then we went to Istanbul, Turkey, which is where I met JP here, and... Then we went, we did four years there. Then we did four years in Shanghai, China. And then. Which
1: school in Shanghai, China? Thank you very much.
2: Yeah. Shanghai American. Yes. Hold on. I have to look at my list so I don't mess it up.
0: (laughs) These are good schools. You wrote it down. Okay. Go ahead.
2: I I didn't, you know, you get flustered when you're with these celebrities. so, (laughs) So, yeah, after China, I wanted to go to a small school. So we did two years in Laos, which was. Amazing. And then we did five years in India at um, the American Embassy School and then six years at Nido Diagles in Chile. And then this is my, I've been here three months at my new school here in Thailand. So Ramruti International School.
0: So you're at Bangkok. You're at Bangkok at Ramruti right now. And I have friends that just, did you just leave Nido? I mean, Yes you did. Okay. You've named some really important schools, right? Wow.
2: I know. We were so lucky. I I have a superpower where I can pretty much manifest whatever I want in the world and I manifested all of those jobs. I was like, I want to work at Vientiane International School. Boom. I want to work at American Embassy School. Boom. It just happened. So Would you do me a favor?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Would you manifest me a beer right now? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I actually have some no. in my coffee cup. <laughs> That's you. That's not me. I'm... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so after Chile, I took a year off before coming to Thailand. So I took a gap year and worked with horses. So random.
0: <laughs> and the word for that is equine,
2: equine studies, study. right?
0: Yes. yes. I love that word,
2: equine. Yes.
0: It's a QU word. Do you guys know about the QU wedding, the elementary book called the QU yes. wedding? The, I was at a school in, in Venezuela, I was at a school, and we used to have a wedding with the kindergarten with the preschoolers, and they would dress them up and celebrate Q and U, and our superintendent would stand up there and do the speech for the whole audience, all the parents and all the kids dressed up, and, and he's like, the quintessential list of Q words, please remain quiet and quickly find your seats, etc. cetera, you know, just every you uh, word. That's but you've adorable. been around the block. I know. Isn't that awesome? So yeah. what do you teach then? Have you taught a, a broad spectrum and your husband's a teacher? So you're a teaching couple, right? Well,
2: it's complicated. So, of course. Yes. My husband is a teacher and we were a teaching couple all the way until now. So when I took my year off last year, he was also going to take a year off and pursue one of his passions, which is another word maybe you don't know, luthery, which is the building of guitars. And I was going to say violins. Well, it's stringed instruments, yes. Okay. I have a question.
0: Right. I have a question. Is it equine luthery, or he's doing it on the back of a horse, <laughs> or is it just luthery?
2: That would be amazing.
1: We should invent that. would that. be Fabio. Wouldn't that be Fabio oh. on the back of a horse with his the long, hair, long hair, hair, tuning an instrument?
2: <laughs> Anyway, last minute, instead of doing that, he got offered a job here in Bangkok at KIS. We were friends with the head of school at the time. And so he said, I think I'm going to go. And I was like, you can't go to Thailand without me. We were traveling here one time and I said all of my future happiness hinges on getting a job in this country. And he was like, God, no pressure. And then we just (laughs) just didn't over the years. So here I am in Florida doing the equine studies program and Tony took off and went to Thailand. So when it came time to go, I'm like shortening my equine studies story. Basically a lot of things happened that made me decide I wanted to go back to teaching and I actually was looking at Mexico because I really feel like they're my people and I knew Jack was there and JP, Jacqueline was there and um, and I just, I love learning Spanish. I didn't want to lose my Spanish. So I was thinking about Mexico. But in the meantime, my brother is also an international teacher and he was in Abu Dhabi and a couple of his friends are now administrators at our school here in Thailand they reached out to my brother to offer him a job, and he said, I can't go right now. My wife is doing a master's program, but my sister's looking for a job. So then we connected and interviewed online, and boom, they gave me a job here. So we have this weird thing now where my husband's at a different school, but it's all awesome. So. You're still
0: a teaching couple. Yeah, I and, guess. And when I talk about teaching couples, I mean about Getting, not just like going to a job fair or mostly, most of the time you're going to one school, but Bangkok has so many schools within a certain area, if not all over the city, but the international schools, there's quite a few that are very well known and well established, right? So you're at Ramroody and he's at KIS? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And
2: we have our own places. So Yeah, they have their own places. That's what I thought
0: I would include as well.
1: Yeah, they have their own places.
2: I wanted to pitch this because it's awesome, you (laughs) guys. It's like really great. So I've got my own
0: place too. Yeah,
2: (laughs) we live apart, but we get together every weekend and we have a lot of fun. So
1: yeah, they just went on a little um, weekend trip. Can you tell us about where you went for your weekend trip? Because I can't even pronounce it.
2: A week off. Um, We went to a place called Kanchanaburi, which is. Out in the countryside. It's so beautiful mountains, rivers. And we stayed at a horse farm because, you know, horses. And we did some horseback riding, some hiking, went to some waterfalls. And it's also the location of the Death Railway, which is bleak. But do you know that movie, The Bridge on the River Kwai? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where it took place. I actually knew about the movie, but I hadn't seen it and I don't know any of the history until I went there. And it turns out it's. World War II, Japanese used prisoners of war and um, Southeast Asian slave labor to build this railway between Thailand and Burma. And you can go and visit the, the, you can ride the train, which we did, and see the bridge. It's not the real bridge, but whatever. It was still cool. So Build a guitar,
0: ride a horse. You got all that. (laughs) It's all right there.
2: We should have brought a guitar. How did we forget that? Ah. That's what I'm here for.
0: I'm here for guidance, and I'm not quite a consultant, but I do have a few ideas I like to share with our listeners and our guests. Right?
1: Appreciate Uh, that. (laughs) Well, Greg, Greg, I want to tell you. Yeah, well, I want to tell you about um, because Sharon just kind of hinted at that. You might have heard that she said, "I didn't know about it until I got there," and the reason that she didn't know, or that she, when she got there, she started to learn, is because. She has a website or a blog called The Guide Hog. And this is where Sharon and I both um, meet eye to eye. Is You know, Greg, when you go to a new country and you say, oh, you know, I'm going to maybe sign up for a historical walk or I'll, I'll I'll go to this museum, but I really want a little bit more nuts and bolts. And you can get the audio guide, but sometimes you can get a live person. Well, Sharon and I both meet eye to eye on this where we stand right next to that person and we pepper them with questions because they just open our minds to all the good things that they know. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can just ask this person everything about this subject because they're the expert. So she's the guide hog because she hogs the guide for herself on this tour. And everybody else is just like, oh God, would this woman just stop asking this person questions?
2: It is so true. And there have been so many times when the guide is basically like, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in Italy we were on a tour and the guide kept talking about Carrera Marble. And I was and I got obsessed with it. So I'd be like, is that Carrera marble? Is that Carrera marble? And finally she goes, it's not Carrera. It's Carrera or whatever. And I was like, oh okay. Never mind.
0: I was <laughs> looking it up. Questions. He's looking it up. No, I'm I'm just trying to think of uh, a story with that to bounce off of what you were saying with these guides. But before I do, I just want to ask that you already have the cat out of the bag there, JP, because you mentioned her website. So, Sharon, can you tell us, is this something that other people could sign in and like find out about like traveling around as a teacher or is it something else?
2: I don't know how useful it is for most people. To be honest, I write it for myself because I have no short-term memory and I'm afraid someday I'll forget what I've done in my life. Sometimes people say things like, have you ever been to Cambodia? And I'm like, "Um, I think so. Let me check my blog. (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, I did go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's not really that bad, but I'm afraid it will get to that point. So it's mostly... um, just detailing our travels. I don't know if anybody reads it, but I like to think it's entertaining, if not useful.
1: (laughs) I read it all the time. I love it because Sharon's writing style is just like what you're hearing right now, Greg. It's super easy to read and you just get enthused listening, or I should say reading what she's writing about. And then because she's a guide hog, she'll put all these hyperlinks (laughs) so that you can go off on a tangent and go check out all the all the research and everything else, because she loves. I mean, she loves to learn. And this is why she's an amazing teacher.
2: Did you see when we were on the horseback trip, we thought they were growing marijuana everywhere? Because I don't know, I I thought it looks like marijuana plants, and they legalized it in Thailand. So I was like, dang, everybody's growing marijuana. Tony <laughs> and, so and I kept commenting on it. We're like, man, fields and fields and fields of this stuff. And he's like, well, you can buy it on every corner in Bangkok. They got to grow it somewhere. And then eventually we found out it is not marijuana. It's this tuber called cassava which i never heard of oh yeah i linked to a site where you can learn all about cassava jack (laughs)
1: i've i've actually eaten cassava in africa they eat it a lot there it's not terribly tasty no it's dry right yeah yeah okay greg is on greg is down a wormhole here we have sorry folks (laughs) listeners we have lost greg you mentioned
0: it (laughs) No, you didn't. You mentioned it, Sharon, that you have a website and you keep track of your life. It's sort of like a diary. And I did the same thing. Mine's called saintsomewhere.online. And we'll put both of our websites out there for our listeners, because if you haven't traveled overseas as a teacher, travel is amazing. And I do a newsletter every month. to let my mom and dad know that I'm still alive and I'm not locked up somewhere. And we play basketball or baseball, or I go travel around. And the point I was going to make is, I was in, um, I can't, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on this country. Cause you're like, oh, anybody been to this place next to Italy, right? If you go to the East of Italy, they share a border with. Croatia. Oh, you're Croatia good. and Lu- not Croatia. It's um, it's above Croatia. It's Ljubljana is in there and it's where they have the, the horses. This is goes in with your horse story, right? Your equine history. All of the beautiful Ljubljana horses are bred there in Ljubljana. And I can't remember the name of the country. Serbia? Because right. Nope. It goes up and it has a border with Italy right there. Anyway, I went there and one of the greatest thing was you would love this because they probably would have loved to have you on the tour. We went on a food tour in Ljubljana or right above Ljubljana. And it was like this 20 something that was sort of, you know, in between school and, she was from the city and she took us around to like six or seven different restaurants and they all knew we were coming because it was part of their guide. And you couldn't sit there and ask all these questions all the time because at some point you're sitting down in the restaurant eating and drinking and it was all inclusive and it was a great tour. I loved it. So anyway, that was my relative connection to what you were saying about guided tours and tour hog. I think that's great that you do that. And you have a website that explains all these great things and as well as I do. So I do newsletters and put them on my website so that my mom and dad know that I'm okay and share them. And I don't have to email everybody because if you really care, you can go to the website and look at it. I have nothing to hide. So, yeah, that's
1: that's what I did. Slovenia. Sorry. Thank so, you. Serbia. God, Serbia is way, way east of Croatia.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, Slovenia. If you go to the top in the northern part of Slovenia where it's right next to like above Ljubljana, there's the border oh. of Italy. And that's where the Italians go to hang out because it's cheaper than even Italy. And what happens is you just hear Italian right around that border. It's just all Italian instead of just Slovenian and it's amazing food and it's right on the water so yeah it's a great place to go
2: oh sounds dreamy
0: yes
1: well yeah. interestingly enough just to bring this into recruiting my little wheelhouse um those eastern european countries a lot of them still offer housing packages they still offer like the dream mm-hmm. benefit package and the bonus is that you're in europe and it's usually less expensive as greg has pointed out mm-hmm. so those are very lucrative packages and people are just you know clamoring to get into those like poland the czech republic the and these are really great schools
0: oh he's found your page
2: (laughs) there's the horse i'll
0: share it with you later you're right I don't mean to take away because we're in the middle of a conversation, but I just wanted to share, I'll share that website with you Sharon, and we'll share later, but we'll put them in the show notes too. If people even care, I don't know, but I would love to read your website and see what you've done. Jacqueline, uh, JP, I love the fact you brought up the fact that living in the former Eastern Bloc countries, especially of centralized Europe, there are great packages. I was looking at, uh, a couple schools there when I was recruiting this last year just to see what I was worth because I've been here for six or six years or so. I thought I would take a moment to go to a job fair, which is my wheelhouse and yours and yours, Sharon, probably. And I still don't get jobs a word of mouth. I go to job fairs still. And okay. a lot of the schools go to these job fairs and you get to find out these little places that you would never think of going to. Kazakhstan. I fell in love with Kazakhstan just by talking to the director for about 20 minutes about Kazakhstan and she answered all my questions like I want to go right I didn't end up going but at some point I can't wait to go and teach in Central Europe if I if I'm still not too old because there are age restrictions in many places but Central Europe might be one of those places that doesn't have the age restriction of like 60 or 65 which I'm like 25 years away from Right. Um, But in 25 years, (laughs) when I have to think about that, yeah.
1: Oh, sorry. Did I laugh out loud? (laughs) Sharon, do you have schools that are still on your list? Like, are you still thinking?
2: I was just going to say that that's the hardest part, I think, about approaching that retirement age is there's still so many places I would love to go and work, but really the end is nigh. (laughs) so my school here has to turn
0: into coaches or consultants right
2: i I know you stay
0: in thailand for a long time
2: well um the the country's cutoff is 60 but apparently individual schools visa can um, tweak it so our school lets you stay till you're 62 and then you can extend your contract annually, but you lose all your expat benefits. So after 62, you don't get housing or flights or any of that good stuff anymore. But still, that's not terrible. 62, possibly to 65. So I mean, I've only been in this country for three months. But I don't know, so far, I'm feeling like I can do it. Then of course, that rules out all these other cool places that I've always wanted to go. And we've never lived in Europe. I mean, I did as a kid, I lived in Germany. But as teachers, I've never lived in Europe, and it just sounds so amazing. So, yeah.
0: One of my bucket list schools is is the Anglo-American school in Moscow, and not necessarily right now because of the Russia and Ukraine thing, right? It's not necessarily the time to be there, but I have had friends that have come and gone from there, and I've always wanted to work there, but it's never been on my radar. It's, it may not be an option because I think they're also 60, You know, even if we have lots of listeners out there that are not even close, they're probably half our age, they're even 20 something and they're getting into the teaching field overseas. But it's great that we have this conversation and we might have to designate a whole episode just on that topic so that that we're not flying all over the place, right? Because the three of us, if we're getting closer, like we're in our, you know, mid forties right now and we're getting close (laughs) and talking about. Yeah, I know. We're in our fifties. I don't know. <laughs> Sharon, how, I don't I'm know proud. if you are, but I am, I know.
2: I'm 56. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I'm curious, what you guys, I have strong opinions about this. Do you have advice you would give to young people who are just starting? So, so when they reach our age, they're not like, dang it. I wish I had done whatever.
0: Oh, well, let's start with you then. I bet you have some strong feelings. You are, you're going to wait for us or do you want to just oh, start with you?
2: Well, I feel really lucky that I, started where i did which was turkey because i feel like that is a young people school we did have people who who stayed forever jacqueline do you know if they still let you do that
1: i think so because you know the person that so it wasn't replaced me because i was a french teacher and i went to the middle east i went to Tazim and in, in oman but they hired the spanish teacher from Tazim. To come to um, coach well actually i hired her because i was the head, i was the head of department so i was like hey um, if we actually bitch. swap countries we can swap stuff so we swapped wine glasses lamps oh, okay. like all the stuff that you don't have to really you know be attached to um she's still i think she's still there and that
2: was
0: 2017 so oh, yeah. i'm confused so mm-hmm. what's the question like you okay, wish, so my point was- known about that early
2: no, oh, yeah. okay, sorry, I di- I digressed. Because at the time, um, there were people at our school in Turkey, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you're spreading it to me, Jack. Um, there were people at our school in Turkey who were like past retirement age. So I wouldn't recommend that. Would I? If I were going to give advice to a young person getting started in international teaching, I would say hit Istanbul, then go to South America and do the South America gig, Then go to Asia and make a whole bunch of money or the Middle East, make a whole bunch of money and then take your 40s on and go to Europe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, we unfortunately, we went from these top tier high earning schools and we've just been going down down ever since. Like not, I'm not well, saying- Well, I was going to
1: say though, America, the South America at an early age is really tough because that's when you actually want a little bit of money to be able to travel and things. But
2: but mm, South I America thinking, doesn't
1: offer a lot of great money.
2: No. I mean, I guess my point is when you're young, you can backpack and you can, mm. you know, South America is such a great place for that kind of travel. And when we were there, I was like, oh, hell no, I don't backpack. I'm like, <laughs> where are the fancy-schmancy posh hotels? <laughs> so. so
0: are you partly saying, like, when you're younger, you want to be active and do things and not necessarily go for that nest egg? But I think, and Jack and will back me up on this, is that, like, Andrew Hallam will tell any teacher the first time you go overseas, right when you start overseas, even if you're making— if you if you go to Honduras like I did, and I went a hundred years ago, but if you're making less than twenty thousand dollars in a country, which a lot of international schools in certain parts of the world, you make maybe twenty mm-hmm. and you can live really well and travel really well on that that salary. But if you take just a little bit of that money and start saving it and start socking it away, then as you get older and, and with your plan, right, then you can keep gradually moving up and get to a well-paying school because you have more experience too, your opportunities, probably going to open up. And the only reason I'm saying all this is because that's, I'm the exactly the opposite of you, Sharon. (laughs) I I started off at making like 15,000 or something like that in the local currency. It was six figures. I told my dad, I'm going to make six figures my first year of teaching. He's like, what currency? I'm like, shit. <laughs> so I said 17 to 1, of course. <laughs> so I was, making, I was making 17 to 1, but in do, you know, from the local to dollar. So I was making less than like twelve dollars to $13,000, not including like insurance and stuff. But that was the salary. And I made enough money to be happy and travel and do all these great things when I was younger. Well, 30. Slowly and gradually, Sharon, I've moved up and every year I've pretty much increased my salary, my value to the school and the offerings got better and you can get to these great, well-paying schools that way. So I, I see what you mean. If you make a lot of money in the beginning of your journey and you stay overseas as a career like the three of us have with maybe a break back in the States for a gap year or two or three or four, then... You know, that's a great plan and it works, but it just depends on the individual, right?
2: That's true. That's true. So
0: that's great advice.
2: I'm also not a good person to advise anybody about the financial side of this gig because I know you've been extremely responsible, Jacqueline, but we have not.
1: <laughs> I disagree. I completely disagree. You you were inspiring me to, you inspired me to buy land in my country Americans and Canadians are quite different in more ways than one.
0: We speak English, you speak Canadian.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of the things is to keep our non-residency. So I haven't filed a tax return in uh, uh, years. So to keep our non-residency, we cannot have a lot of residential ties to Canada. And one of those would be a house. Mm -hmm. So when I went overseas, I sold my little house. I had a house. Sold it um, within a year of being overseas because I realized I wasn't going to be coming back. But I can buy land. And the reason I was inspired to buy land was because I was watching Sharon and Tony buying these beautiful properties, renting them out or, you know, getting um, tenants and then just, yeah, kind of accumulating their wealth through real estate.
2: That's such a nice little dream that you just painted what actually happened
1: (laughs) (laughs) the real for the real story
2: (laughs) no it's true we did have um if you're talking about our lake house Mm -hmm. that was a lovely property and we had a lot of fun there it was a in michigan on a small lake in michigan we had it for 10 years we did not rent it out we used it for one month every year (laughs) So so you was, had a
1: basement. You rented out the basement.
2: Oh, no. You know what? We had a guy, like a caretaker guy, and he stayed there for free in exchange for taking care of the house. So
0: so that was all before Airbnb stuff, right? Before you know what? Came pretty out much. The scene. Pretty much.
2: And we tried when Airbnb started becoming popular, I looked into it, but they said it just wasn't in a um, desirable enough location. It was too far away from the college towns and the cool cities and everything. So, I'll
0: go stay there. I don't have a place to stay in the States except for my family and friends and crash on their couch. So I'll just go stay there next summer. What's the address?
2: Well, we don't have it anymore, but you know what? We do have, Greg, and I know that you have family in Florida. We now do have an Airbnb in Florida in the happening town of The Villages, where you can go nice. dancing every night with the 55 plus crowd
1: <laughs> that sounds like heaven for greg <laughs>
0: look at him look at his face no no <laughs> i don't want to be at the 55 over crowd i want to be with like the 30 year olds and hang out and drink you should see oh my god
2: pretty. it is no joke yeah i've I seen photos I Love florida
0: All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at the itpexpat.com That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at international teacher podcast at gmail.com we look forward to hearing from you
1: or if you're into facebook we have a new facebook group at www.facebook.com groups itpexpat where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITP expat.
0: You can also find us on Instagram at ITP expats. That's with an S. ITP expats is our handle. All right, and thank you, listeners. We have over 100 countries represented by our listeners, and though we're not monetized, we are here for you, and we would like to thank all of you for listening. So let's get back to the show. Well, let's circle around. Your question for us, Sharon, was to give some advice too, and that was actually our question to guests. So you, you totally threw me for a loop there, but I love it, and I have strong feelings. Jacqueline, JP, why don't you go first? What do you think? New teachers should, right off the bat, if they're thinking about overseas, what's one good piece of advice you could give? them?
1: Okay, well, because my wheelhouse is your CV, um, I'm going to say, please don't jump around. Don't do two years, 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 two years. It's going to look terrible on your CV. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to stay the seven or the eight years that I did, for example, I stayed eight years at coach and then I stayed seven years at TASM. So two schools in 15 years, that's not terribly realistic either. But I would say if you could stay at least three to four as Sharon and Tony did, you know, they're kind of the ideal role models in that sense, because they stayed a few years, made some, you know, planted some roots, but not too deeply. And then move to the next school the reason i say that is because schools and admin and hrs they're going to look at your cv and see like just if they see a whole lot of two-year stints they're going to think what was wrong why did you leave at all these schools with just the minimum time Mm -hmm. now greg you pointed to yourself is that because your cv has Two and, two and two. I don't, rem- I don't remember doing Maybe that. That's
0: why it took me so long to get really valuable to a school. <laughs> I, I had rough, rough recruiting years, right? Because I'm a great guy, but I didn't always have a strong resume f- until I had more experience at different schools. My story is a little bit different. I agree with you. I think that the two-year contract minimum for most schools, especially the better schools, have a two-year contract minimum. So if you stay an extra year then you're showing that you're dedicated enough to stay beyond the contract. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much of a red flag for them. I did three years in Honduras. I did one in Egypt and I fell into a school that was not the right fit for me. And I had to leave it. I mean, it was one of those make it or break it. And just, I had to leave. So I went to Kuwait for two. Greg was trying to
1: find the right fit, finding the right fit, www.amazon.com at your (laughs) finer
0: bookstores. And you know, you guys joke, you joke about it, but you know what? I love the way you joke about it. The reason I called it the right fit was because I ran into one that wasn't the right fit. And everybody talks about schools that are right fit for you. And that leads as a segue into what my opinion is, because I come from that background where I have two years, two years everywhere. Like Mm -hmm. it started to get more and more Um, because I had the travel bug. And when I did my interviews, I would explain the reason. I had it all backed up. I'm like, I traveled around because I stayed for two years there, fulfilled my contract. And during the interviews that came up, so I had to really defend it. And I think the way I explained it to them was clear enough that, yeah, it's not my dream school. This is a great place to be. I've fulfilled my contract. I'm letting you know. I have another school I'm going to. I let you know early that I was going to recruit. And they're usually on my side, right? except for that one year. Anyway, that gets a segue into my advice for, for new teachers and for anybody in the international field. I'm going to echo what I've heard from thousands of people over the years, and I'm not kidding you. Most, and you guys can chime in on this, but you'll probably agree without any hesitation. When you look at schools... Don't think you're just going to go on some European vacation. I want you to look at those schools that you never even knew were on the map.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you don't know where Guam is, if you don't know where the little island of Fiji is, there are little schools in every country around the globe, mm-hmm. and there's some excellent schools in places that you've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. So give them a try. Go to a, a recruiting fair. Get to know a teacher that's been there and talk about it. but don't close the door and just go for those top tier schools. I call them top tier, but the well-acknowledged schools. Mm-hmm.
1: The number How's of times I've heard people say, oh, I just want to go to the American school in Paris. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes. like, but there's so much more out there.
0: Yeah. Go on a vacation to Paris instead. Mm-hmm. Don't go live there and teach at a school just because it's it, the lifestyle might be great. But when you go to Europe, and I speak from experience, Sharon, I lived in Switzerland for three years, one year past my contract. and it's more about the lifestyle. It's not making money because it's expensive and they have different laws in every one of the European countries, different taxes and life is not easy on a teaching on a teaching salary, but the lifestyle is amazing, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Very amazing. So someday Sharon, when you go and teach in Europe, you're going to love it, right? Yes. You're uh, going to love it.
2: Maybe someday, maybe I'll just win the lottery and just move there. <laughs>
0: Hey, where's the attitude that we heard before? <laughs> like I make it happen for myself yes, and drag my manifest. husband. Yes, you manifest.
1: Let me let me give you a suggestion of what you should manifest, Sharon. The American school in Vienna. And hear me out. Because you speak German, you still have German dormant inside your brain somewhere. Es schlaft, es schlaft. <laughs> but it's there and then you could Voist my uh, bitch. Yes. Wo ist dein, dein Deutsch Schlift, not Schlaft. Um so you could go to the American School of Vienna, that's German but Austrian, and you would have those gorgeous mountains, the Alps, and it is a great school. It's a small school, but it's a great school.
2: Yeah, twist my arm. I knew the principal there for a while. And I was like, oh, I need to get there while she's still principal. And it just didn't happen. You know, that's the beauty of being old is we know people everywhere. So every time someone mentions a school, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know somebody there. Oh, yeah, my friend is the principal or whatever. So that's pretty fun, I have to say. I wish that were true when I was much younger. I wish I had started this when I was in my 20s. That's like my biggest. So do I. Yeah.
0: I wish I had. But it's not easy. The schools, at least in the States, and maybe Canada, JP, I'm not sure, but in the States, our schools, our universities of educate with education colleges are a part of a machine. And think about it. I mean, I, I, I didn't know about it. First of all, I didn't know about it because it is the best kept secret in education. That's our little tagline. But here's the story, is that if you don't hear this podcast, if you don't know somebody went overseas, if you don't know what it's really about – then you're going to be part of that machine where the universities feed into the school districts around the state and around that city and feed into the machine because they're training you to be a teacher so you can go and teach in the next district. This never comes up. I mean, yeah. when I got hired in in Honduras, I came back, it was like, I think it was February 1st, I'd come back from University of Iowa and I went and did some uh, mock interviews at my university, right? My final semesters at school were all about getting prepared, taking master's courses as before I graduate with my certificate. Everybody in that room, there was 150 candidates to graduate from my school of education. And that year, I was the only one that had a job in February because I went to a job fair to find a job overseas. Mm -hmm. And everybody else is like waiting around till September to hear from a district that might have an opening.
2: Greg, how did you know about it?
0: I didn't. I found out about it at a cocktail party. That's the early story. The story is I was at a Christmas party in Green Bay. This guy says to me, oh, you like to teach? You like to travel? You should go to Iowa. I'm like, excuse me? I had the same reaction, right? Sharon, like, what? Iowa? Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I threw the Oppenheimer in there. We can do that once in a while. So anyway... I went to Iowa and there was the whole world was represented at this recruiting fair. And I knew nothing about it. I showed up, I had nowhere to stay. I didn't know I should stay at the hotel. I didn't have any money to stay at the hotel. I didn't know how to interview. I didn't even have a resume really ready to go. I threw it all together between Christmas and February 1st. I threw together a paper portfolio. I got there and I'm sitting at this table trying to figure out what to do next. I have an interview, maybe. I don't know. We're going to have to stand in line. And the guy next to me has a stack of invitations, like 15 high, because he and his wife had been overseas to two different schools, and he sort of walked me through the ropes. That's another reason I wrote the book. It's because no one ever taught me. At the time, there was no website about it. The only information you could get was from the recruiting agency. Yes, and dude, then I through experience, it had
2: been around 20 years ago. Yeah, there was no way to get that information.
0: I would have bought it.
1: (laughs) Finding the right fit, www.amazon.com.
2: Sharon, (laughs) can you tell us
1: how many job fairs have you been to? Because I bet you actually, before you tell us, Greg, can you guess how many Sharon and Tony have been
0: to?
2: They're so funny.
0: First, tell me again, Sharon, how many schools have you been to?
2: I'm at my sixth school.
0: Six school, so okay. you've been at a minimum of five job fairs because you got one by word of mouth at least, yeah. or, or you went to several during one year because you didn't really find the right fit at one. So you went to a trailing. I'm gonna say, I think that's a possibility. I'm gonna say seven.
2: Oh wow, you were e- underestimating my manifestation powers. So no, um, we also did the University of Northern Iowa to get our jobs in Turkey and then also to get our jobs in China. And then um, since we were already in Asia, we went to Bangkok for the search ISS combo and we all, we would register for both cause we were so paranoid and then we were so mm-hmm. lucky and we'd get the jobs like the first day and cancel the other <laughs> fair. So we got Laos at search. That is a good story if we have time. And then oh, please tell. Um, we got we and went Chile. to ISS for India. And then Chile was totally word of mouth. So we were in India and a friend of mine got a job there and he came running to my classroom and he said, they have an EAL position. And I was like, I'm not even recruiting. And he was like, come on, come on, you should apply. And I was like, okay. So that just <laughs> happened. And then this last time was the one where my brother's friends just dropped it in our lap. So. Yeah. So did you count, Greg, how many?
0: So is that is that four then?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. You know,
2: I love job fairs. I kind of miss them. They're so fun and exciting and the whole network. Can
0: I guess why? Can I guess why?
2: Hmm, it's you
0: because think? you're surrounded by not only is it the whole roller coaster of emotions and trying like what schools are out there and Maybe getting an offer, maybe not getting declined. It's that roller coaster of emotions. But what I truly enjoy about job fairs, and maybe for you too, I'm going to guess for you. It's the networking and talking to people that are doing the same thing you are Yeah, and learning through them about what the other schools around the world are like. You sit next to a person, they're teaching in Abuja. You sit next to another person and they're teaching in Korea and they've already been to Amsterdam and they already taught in Cambodia. And then somebody over here is talking about the Island of Fiji or something. Yeah, And it's crazy. It's amazing. It's like the whole world is
2: in one little hotel. Yeah. It's so fun. And it's really the Way to get that information. Someone
0: once asked me, "With when 2015 hit, and I was in Switzerland, and I was gearing up to go to ISS. ISS started their online recruiting, their online job fairs, in between their face-to-face fairs. No one else had it. No one else thought about it It pre-COVID 2015. Mm, They started doing their online stuff." and it really didn't click with me. I didn't like it. There was, it was a Mm -hmm. system was just getting started. Someone asked me, do you think they're going to have face-to-face fairs ever again? Because, you know, especially after COVID people always thought we're not going to have any face-to-face fairs anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, I disagree because these fairs know that the face-to-face interview is so important because when I interview with you, or you interview with somebody else. It's face-to-face. There's body language that does not show up on video. Mm-hmm. There are so many things to look at because you're on stage the whole time. You're in the elevator and you're going up to your room and you run into some director that happens to be talking about a school you're interested in and they ask you to join the conversation. And you're like, well, what well, funny you should ask. I was just looking at your school. <laughs> right? And it just happens. And those... Those You got me started on this, but the directors all go to job fairs and know each other and train beforehand sometimes. And they do this whole travel around to different job fairs to find the best people for them to fit their puzzle. And the thing is, they talk to each other. It's like, hey, I've got a great recruit I just ran into in the elevator. She's awesome. Her name is Sharon and her husband. And they... They make guitars and ride horses together, but they want to go overseas again. And it just happens that they're from Austria. The school's in Austria, and you're like, you had no idea. But this other director says you need to call Sharon and her husband. That happens at job fairs.
2: It totally does. Yep. That's so funny. Sorry I
0: went way off on that because that's my favorite thing is job fairs. I would love to just go to job fairs.
2: I know. I kept thinking as you were talking, I'm like, what if they do cancel them forever? Can we like recreate that? I guess that would be like going to Ircos or one of those other big regional <laughs> They
0: you know? won't fade away, in my opinion. I think it's too important to meet face-to-face yeah. and they can't afford to fly teachers into their country. Right. They can't afford to even fly more than a couple people, in most cases, one or two people to recruit right. to go back to the States or go to Bangkok or go to Dubai yeah. to meet these candidates. So I think that the director's really feel that the face-to-face is important. And that's what these job fairs are so magical about.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's pretty fun for sure. Sharon, you oh, you I,
1: bring I, up a good point about PD and ERICOS and NISA and um, CIS. And I, in fact, in, in another podcast, I mentioned that job fairs and this kind of PD, those kind of PD conferences are another great way to build your network, you know, yeah. and then, you, what you want to do is you add all these people on LinkedIn. Let's go your link. You know, I'm a LinkedIn touter fanatic. or fanatic. F- f- what is it? Fanatic. Fanatic. Thank you. I was like frenetic. How is Lover.
0: that? Yeah. Lover. <laughs> Heavy <laughs> user.
1: Like, oh, oh, that's, we're getting Addicted. into other, getting what? into other areas, but no, ever since um, I started doing PD with people and networking, just realizing that, you know, you can grow your professional network through LinkedIn, rather than add them all on Facebook, because Facebook is still too personal for me. Um, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about the PD? Because I know you're a PD queen, just like you're a guide hog. I mean, kind of run down. I, I, this is a total question that I didn't prepare you for. So I'm sorry if you're kind of stuck, but just kind of run down some of the PD that has been paid for because you don't pay for PD if you're overseas and you're at a great school. Can you tell us some of the things?
2: Oh, I've done amazing PD. And I, I'm going to go back to this concept of when I was in my gap year taking care of horses, I still subscribed to all those organizations who would send me emails and you know, tweet and everything like WIDA, um, the Center for Applied Linguistics, TESOL. And even though I had shunned teaching and I was pretty sure I was going to become an, an exercise physiologist for horses, I I would go down this rabbit hole, I'd get the emails and I would start reading it and be like, oh, this is a cool new thing. I want to learn about this. I even took a weeda workshop when I wasn't teaching. And I was like, why are you doing that? You're not it was free, but still. No, over the years, um, I think those regional conferences are awesome. I presented at the one in Chile when we hosted it. Now I just blanked on what that conference is, a MISA or something like that. What is it? South America. Anyway. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. And the um, association of,
0: South, association South, of American South, American South American schools and mm-hmm. associations.
2: Yeah. Like yeah. Asa awesome. does all kinds of really great um, PD and a lot of it's free. They do all these online workshops Um, that was awesome when we were in Chile, especially during COVID, I did so much PD with them. Um, schools have paid for me to go to, um, I went to Taipei to do training with WIDA. I went to a WIDA symposium, which was spectacular. So amazing. I learned so much. Um, I went to Washington. Can you tell
0: me what WIDA is? Oh, WIDA WIDA
2: used to stand for something, but now it's just WIDA. And it's it used the, to
1: stand for Wisconsin. The W was Wisconsin. Was. As, uh, you can't believe it, but it was. Yeah. No way. It
2: was a consortium.
1: Wisconsin, India, uh, mm-hmm. Indiana, um, D. I can't remember. Yeah, but it was. It was, a it was like three of states, states
2: that came together to build a framework for teaching and assessing students who are learning English. So. Uh, so they
0: would do. They would do these PDs at a at an international school in another country that they had ta- they had like links with, and they would offer PDs and then the other international schools in the region would send their their teachers and their staff to either present or listen or learn. Right. They would pay to go to this regional, uh international part of WIDA, right? Exactly. Is yeah. it sorry, what it is? Because in the States, they usually, like in Wisconsin, when I was pre-teaching years, they had a different conference every week that you could go to with different districts. Anywhere in the state, every weekend was something, reading or language acquisition or something. I remember I missed it until I went overseas because then overseas it was only once or twice a year with the big ones like the, the regional conferences, but you present at them. And your school's been paying for some of these too, right? Yeah. Is what absolutely. you're saying, like the WIDA In conference, fact, I which just type started, A?
2: Yeah. I just started this at this school. I've been there three months. But before I started, I wrote them and said, hey, there's this WIDA workshop I want to do. <laughs> it costs $350. Will you pay for it now, even though I haven't started yet? And they were like, Sure. <laughs> so they, said just <laughs> wow. they said, just don't submit the reimbursement until after you actually start your job here. <laughs> so was
1: that in the summer, Sharon?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So oftentimes, too, that, that uh, Sharon brings up a good point is that um, Cause I, when I was hired at tasm in uh, the Middle East, I didn't have um, AP experience or training and I was going to be an AP French teacher. So that summer, before I even moved to the school, they sent me to an AP, con- um, AP workshop. They asked me like, where are you this summer? Where would you like to go? And so I was in Canada. I picked Vermont and I went to, um, it was about four or five days in my summer and it was nice, you know, a nice little drive down to Vermont from Ottawa was okay. And they they picked up the whole package. This yeah. the the um well the transportation was my car, my rental. So they paid part of my rental. They paid the accommodation, the course. Then I got all this training before I even got to the school, and that was an indication of how great that school was because they wanted to front load my arrival and make sure I was you know hitting the ground running. So that I could teach this course.
2: I think that's a really good point that when you are recruiting and looking at schools, the PD package is pretty important. So this school actually gives us a stipend every month for PD, and it's pretty significant. It adds up. Every month? Yeah. Yeah. I've
1: never
0: heard of that. My school has nothing right now. My school has nothing. I'm not joking. We used to go to NISA but we don't anymore post-COVID. They have not reinstated a whole lot of PD for us. And uh, it's just uh, something that goes on. Every school is different. And I guess that's my point. Because Sharon, if you've been to some, some great schools you have mentioned, and a lot of those are very longstanding, credited schools that have great packages and to ask about the PD. But in my experience, if I've gone to a fair, like I went to Asad, I went down all the way down to Argentina, Buenos Aires and did a presentation at mine. So the association gave me a break on the entire package. So I didn't have to pay the total fee. Right. Actually, the school didn't have to pay the total fee. I was also representing my international school down in Argentina. I was representing my school in Venezuela. For them, it's good PR that they send a teacher that may or may not know what he's talking about (laughs) and and do a presentation for other people. Right.
2: I know. It's so fun. It's such a fun way to meet people, learn about other schools and learn stuff to help you become a better teacher. And yeah, it's great. I remember being at one conference and I met this guy who was the head of school at the Canadian school in Japan. I, I don't know what it's called. Kobe, the school in Kobe. And I just got it in my head. I was like, I'm going to get offered a job from that man before the end of this conference. (laughs) (laughs) This became like my goal, you know. And by the time it was done, he said, Sharon, all I have is um, early years. Do you think you could teach early years? And I'm like, score. I was like, no way. I'm not going to teach early years. But I succeeded (laughs) in getting a job offer. And that was all I really wanted to prove. So, yeah. That was pretty. But you can file that
0: away for later because that's part of the networking. Is you made sure that this guy knows who you are, exactly, or this woman, this this director knew who you are, and they're going to remember you down the line because the longer you're in this, and and JP said this many times, the longer you're overseas in your career, the more people you know, and the more the directors hear your name. So when recruiting time comes up, you're on their list because you know darn well they have a bucket list of people that they want to teach in their team at the right time when it happens and sometimes just the timing so that person that you met and you got the offer from they're still going to know who you are so when you're looking around and you say hey oh look he's in austria now i'm going to tag him and see what happens and you're going to go to austria and work for this guy that you met at a conference in south america i love how we keep coming back to austria
2: it feels like it's my destiny now. Oh, I've been building long. that
0: theme, in, I've been building that theme into this whole thing. You That's know, we true. keep talking about other things like equine, you know, stuff and and guitars. So I can just imagine you working in Austria with yeah. horses, it's and all your there. husband can build guitars.
1: It's perfect. So Sharon, we're we're at the point in our interview where we want to know: in all these travels, in
2: all these countries. Do you have a police story for us? Oh, you know what? I only have one run in with the law and it was just a traffic cop, but I think it's a kind of funny story. Okay. Uh, Do you remember it, Jacqueline? It was from Turkey.
1: Oh my God. It's my favorite story ever. I tell this story. No way. I tell this story. No, no, I know. But I mean to say, I tell the story to everybody I talk to it
2: up too much. It's not that good. Okay.
1: No, no, it's awesome.
2: Okay. So a friend of ours had had surgery on her toe. And I was driving her home from the hospital and we were just chatting, chatting. This is in Istanbul. And we were chatting and I missed my exit. So I was like, dang it. So we had to exit at the next town, which was called Ahu Doodaloo, which is an awesome name. And it <laughs> means with raspberries. So I always loved driving by Ahu Doodaloo. And every time I would go, Ahu Doodaloo. And I drove by. <laughs> um, we had to exit at Ahu Doodaloo. And it turned out it had like this super long concrete barrier so you couldn't turn around and get back on the highway. So we're driving, driving, driving. And then I see a few cars ahead of us are making a U-turn. So I made a U-turn. Turns out this traffic cop had pulled everybody over because it was an illegal U-turn. So I'm sitting there. The cop comes over. I spoke pretty decent Turkish. But i totally put on the expat, like, what? I didn't know. I I can cry on command. And I don't know what you're talking about. And I could tell he was totally ready to let me go. Like, this is too much trouble. And then this man comes walking up who he had also been pulled over. And he goes, "Uh, I speak English. Do you want me to translate? And I was like, no, dang it. I don't want you to translate. So I'm listening to him talking to the policeman and he says to the guy the guy says to the policeman if you let her go you have to let all of us go I was like oh. so the cop feels like he has to give me a ticket he takes my license he's writing stuff down he says something to the translator and the translator says to me uh is your name organ donor and I'm like organ donor oh my driver's license says organ donor so I'm like, why yes, my name is Oregon Donor. <laughs> so the fee was, the fine was something like 40 bucks, I don't know. But I was happily paying the fine because now I can tell everybody that in Aho Doodaloo, they know me as Oregon Donor. So <laughs> that just made me so happy.
1: <laughs> I- I'm speechless. <laughs> I don't- because <laughs> if you don't know, in Istanbul, organ would be a name. It's very, very, I mean, it's not common, but it, it would be a name. And doner is like the the sandwich. It's oh, the shawarma. I so I always tell that story. I'm like, so my friend hands over her Kansas license and it says, OK, Miss organ Doner." <laughs>
2: I just loved that. Every time I drove by Ahu Doodaloo after that, I was like, Hi guys, it's me, Orgon.
0: <laughs> I think that you need to have two cats and you need to name one Ohan Oodaloo and the other one has gotta be Orgon Donor. Okay. Right?
2: I love that. That picture. would be
0: a famous that would be just a lifestyle that I would want for myself. You're too. right. Two I two feel like I'm gonna do names. that.
2: I'm gonna get two more animals just so I can do that. And now speaking of
1: animals and speaking of your kitty cats, um, or kitty cat, uh, what are three things that you need to have to, cause you've been all over the place and I would imagine you have three top things that make your home a home or three things that you absolutely need when you move into a country, like Mm -hmm. Greg needs ice, Greg needs a maid and he needs some kind of transportation to and from school.
2: You know, that's a good question because this time was the first time in all of our years abroad I didn't get a shipment included in my compensation package. So, normally we've hauled all of our stuff all over the world. We have a 20 foot container in storage, and normally it's with us wherever we live. So, I don't have a lot of the stuff with me that makes my house feel like a home. So, I would say first, my cat. He's been in four countries with me and definitely makes this feel homey. Then I would say I had to get a food processor as soon as I landed here because there are certain foods that make me feel comfortable. And I'm not a great cook, but I need my hummus and a few other things. And then, you know, I'm in a, in a house that has white walls and white floors and white fixtures. And I'm used to these beautiful carpets and artwork and tapestries. Yes, like like Jacqueline has, I mean, I lived in Turkey and China and I mean, Istanbul, India. Istanbul, India and Shanghai. I got the most beautiful things. So I miss that. So here I did end up getting online. They have something similar to Amazon called Lazada. And I ordered this ridiculously bright colored carpet and I was so excited. I, I was expecting to come home and find this big rolled up carpet at my house and it ended up coming in a little folded packet because it's like a plastic mat <laughs> with a very a colorful design stamped on it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Better than nothing. So make it work. <laughs> that's what we can have. Yeah. So I would say my cat, my food processor and something colorful and bright and cheerful. So, yeah.
0: You've only been there for three months. When you guys arrived, you and your husband arrived with your cat, what?
2: Well, my head you know, arrived, they separately. arrived separately.
0: Mm-hmm. When okay, so you arrived separately. Went to different schools for now. It's a different part of your life. And when you arrived, did your school take care of you when you arrived? We like to talk a little bit about uh, the onboarding package, yeah. which includes the be- the very beginning when you land in country. Absolutely. What was it like this time?
2: This was the best landing I've ever had in 22 years. This school took such good care of us. They um we have a boarding facility on campus and we had the option to stay there. I had already picked a house, so they brought me directly to my house and I was able to move in, but they picked me up for every meal and took me back to the boarding facility, breakfast, lunch and dinner every day for 2 weeks. And in the meantime, people were some people didn't have housing yet, so they were taking people out to look for housing or to buy a scooter or go grocery shopping or whatever. They had several vans going all day long, every day. They would take us to Ikea, to the grocery stores. Um, It was amazing. They just took such good care of us. I felt like I had my own personal assistant for two weeks. (laughs) They gave us a, a care package at the house like a lot of schools do to get you started with basic necessities. Um, it was amazing. And you know what else I really appreciated was the whole senior admin team was there. They met us at the airport. They came to every meal. They, I mean, they just felt so present, like they really, really cared about us. And that made a huge difference. I told them that, you know, when you feel like your admin team came back early just to greet the newbies, like that, that sends a really important message. So I felt very valued and really, really happy with that. Such a nice way to start a new job.
0: And my whole theory about this is that it shows that you are a very, very important investment for the school. They want you to stay longer than two years. They'll talk about it like, you know, no, you you need to stay for like four or five, right? Your contract is for two. You show up and they're all waiting for you. It shows you, they feel you're important enough that you have food, communication, and you feel Uh, within the first two weeks that you're there before school starts that you get settled in somehow. So they help you with, with, and there's different styles for every school. They do it differently, right? Some schools just plop you in a hotel and you have to, find a place to live on your own with some realtor. Other places have a place that you have to stay because that's where their housing is. So every school's different. I love hearing your story because that is the pinnacle. And I think schools are learning this. I think the admin are finally figuring out. We've been screaming for years that the onboarding process, the first moment they get off the plane is gonna make it or break it for a teacher. I've seen, Sharon, I've seen a teacher leave within three days. Of arrival. Yep. We lost a teacher one year at one school in three days. And, and why was, was because, that, Greg? Well, it she was just a little bit crazy. Was right. It that was, fit?
2: was it not, not? Yes,
0: you're getting me to say that she was not the right fit for the school, or the school was not the right fit for her, or the country was not the right fit. She didn't ask the right questions during the interview process. Mm. She was thinking of something else, but whatever it was, gone in three days and i think it's so important for schools to know that it doesn't matter if you're a big school with a big budget for onboarding it doesn't matter even a small school if that director shows up to pick you up at the tiny little airport that they have it means everything to an arriving teacher right yeah it's and a familiar face
1: from from your interview process you know i i've got to i've got to think about it so one two So my first two international schools, it was the person that I interviewed with who was there at the airport greeting me. And I stayed 15 years at those two schools. And then from that point on, it became HR people that I didn't know, you know, like they just had a sign or they were looking for me because I kind of stand out with the red hair, usually in these Asian countries that... I stand out. So they come up to me, but I don't know who they are. They're like, hi, is, is it Jacqueline? And uh, yeah, who are you? But you know, it, it's, it means so much when you can see a familiar face in a sea of faces that you don't know. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: On the other hand, if you have an experience where you show up at a small school, you don't know much about, and you're starting out teaching, it might be an experience that's a challenge. You might arrive and there's no one there and you have a phone number but you don't have a phone your cell phone doesn't work you come mm-hmm. from some your home country thinking that you're going to pop in a sim something goes wrong your baggage doesn't show up you're in the middle of an airport they haven't found you they maybe they're discombobulated maybe they don't have good communication you might find yourself at a remote airport that closes down while you're standing there and you'd have to you know you'll have a story to tell yeah but i think a lot of us even a lot of us that are willing to travel are going to go into these kinds of stories and then come on to the ITP and share those stories oh. and how it just changed their life right mm-hmm. but i think the point is that the better schools the the schools that you could even ask these questions like what's the onboarding like when i land yeah. these are good questions for an interview these days that's exactly because other mean, i never schools
2: don't I'm do it asking that yeah.
0: Well, once you've done it for a while, once you've been overseas, like we have for so many schools and stuff, we sort of feel more comfortable just sort of relying on the fact that they're going to pick us up. But that's yeah. sort of an assumption on our part. So I think if we include that in uh, the interview process, it's a really good question. Yeah. I've never written down all the great questions because every school is different mm-hmm. and you have a different feeling when you interview with that school. But some one of those basic ones would probably be... You know, who's going to meet me at the airport and what's the process? Yeah.
1: Well, and just to be clear, this would be a question after you got an offer, not before.
0: <laughs> That's true. Because that That's would true. be sort of putting the
1: horse after the cart or the cart before the horse. You know, you don't want to like very first interview. They say, so, you know, can you tell us why you applied to our school? And it's like, well, can I just find out what's the onboarding? Are like, you gonna You're already going
2: to you feed me every day for two weeks? I need that. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's so many things we could talk about. Je- uh, Sharon, you've been on this show quite a while with us now. How about if we sort of wrap it up and we give you an opportunity to sort of give us your last thoughts or last yes. story or something that you'd like to leave us with?
2: Oh, goodness. Or
1: advice. You could also give advice because, you know, our listeners Our listeners are from all over. Let me just kind of run down some of the oh, listeners yes. that have reached out to me. Okay um at uh, at my services. So they are first uh time teachers. So they're just about to graduate from university and they decided like Greg, I don't even want to teach in the US. I want to head overseas. Mm-hmm. Then there are um people that have been teachers forever in the US or in Canada or in Australia. I've actually got quite a few of Australian clients that are teachers only in Australia and they've decided Maybe as a result of this ITP, they want to go overseas. Mm -hmm. So we've got the whole gamut. What would be something you'd want to tell those people?
2: Okay, since I'm new here, this is fresh on my mind. I think even though we've been doing this for 22 years, and this is my sixth school, transitions are hard. Even though my landing was soft and the school took really, really good care of me, there's still a very steep learning curve. I mean, it's a new language. It's a culture I'm not familiar with. The school has systems I don't know, or they don't have systems in place. Like, there's just stuff to learn, right? And I think that when you're new at a school, it can be very easy to get demoralized as soon as that honeymoon period wears off. And I guess the advice I would give is hang in there. From my experience, if you can make it to Christmas and often earlier than Christmas, but if you aim for Christmas, the second semester is like a whole different world. And you're like, I'm not new anymore. I know what I'm doing. And then the next year when you're really not a newbie and the new people come in, it's like the best feeling in the world. So I guess that's that would be my advice right now because it's fresh on my mind is to just hang in there, power through. It's going to be awesome.
0: So oh, those are great words of wisdom. I think for no matter how long you've been teaching, because you've been doing it for 22 years overseas and you know what it feels like in many situations, right? I totally agree with you. I couldn't have said it any better.
2: Awesome. Well, this has been so fun, you guys. And you know what? I didn't even get to touch base about some of the things. Like Greg, I heard you say that your nephew was in um, town, and I was like, <gasps> Like I'm a total theater nerd and I about like, I just got goosebumps thinking about that. That was awesome. So.
0: Do you get to, do you get to go to a lot of theater? Are you involved in theater at any of the schools you've been at over the years? Have you been able to.
2: I just went to see West side story that was touring here. We went to see it last weekend, which was fun, but in general, um, there hasn't been a lot of that going on at most of the places where I've lived. I mean, I go to the high school productions. <laughs> and I, right. And then most of the schools those. have
0: productions. That was my point. Yeah. I mean, most of the schools try to have some kind of a drama theater right, arts right, right. from production yeah. at least once in the year. Yep.
2: And I usually right? get involved in that somehow. Um, but you know, it's not the same as seeing a real off Broadway show or something. So,
0: yeah, well, just so our listeners know, yes, I have a nephew. His name is Colin and Lemoyne, and you need to look for him in the off-Broadway of Hadestown. He is one of the, the swing actors, which means he goes through all different parts. It's a very mm. small cast, but he's also a stand-in for one of the leads, and you might see him as the lead. He's amazing. I saw him twice in Houston. It was amazing. And I can't, I mean, not in Houston, it was in uh, Fort Worth. I thought it was in Houston. So I went to the, almost went to the wrong city, (laughs) but anyway, (laughs) that's a great point. But I think Sharon, on behalf of JP and I, we need to get you back on the show later on after you've been in Bangkok for a while.
2: Thank you. We'll talk
0: later about that. We'll share some stories and uh, JP, you want to bring us to a close?
1: Well, from Greg the single guy and J.P. Mend, I want to thank Sharon for coming on to the show today and sharing all these wonderful stories. I think I'm I'm inspired, and I don't even teach anymore. But she she's just a uh, an elixir of positive juice that I want to go overseas and experience everything thanks to her.
2: Oh, you're yeah. the best! Thank you for those kind words, and it's been so fun chatting with you guys. I feel like we should just sit down and get a beer and hang out
0: oh i would love one before we leave last thing before we leave sherry can you tell us the name of that place again the hoopla hoopla
2: oh ah ah who doodaloo. the doodaloo, ah the everybody i think that's ITP. gonna be
0: that's gonna be our sign off from <laughs> now on ah who do sherry can you stand for just a little bang